0: everybody. Welcome to another amazing episode of the Power Women in Insurance podcast. My name is Teresa Kitchens, and I am your host. I am super excited today to be able to talk to you because I know on a couple of podcasts back, I was mentioning that I wanted to be able to go over a book that is changing the way that I'm thinking about me, my business, um, and what I want to be able to accomplish in the insurance industry. And that is called Overcoming Underearning, and it is by Barbara Stanny. And um, I actually read, uh, listened to, and uh, I don't actually own the book. I listened to it on Audible. Um, Another book by her called Secrets of the Six-Figure Women. And um, that was a very good book. Um, And in that, she talked about, she had like a chapter on, are you uh, an under earner and what it would take to be able to kind of overcome being an under earner. And then she said, and I have a book about it. So then I have kind of jumped into the book. I have the physical book, obviously, because if you're watching on YouTube, you can see that. But um, I have so much about this book Um, and I'm I'm not gonna like go into how I was raised and all this other stuff because that does have a lot to do with it but there's actually almost like a book study in this. So if you are interested in being able to do a little bit of a book study on this, stick with me. Um, I would love to be able to do it with people but um, most of the time whenever I talk about this book with a group of people, And we do actually have a book study going on it right now. Uh, People, we we all feel like the information in here is very personal, and it's very much something that almost has a little bit of shame around it. So uh, I've decided to do it on my own. Here we are, and um, just be very honorable, uh, vulnerable. That's what I was trying to go for, being very vulnerable very honest, about my own journey with being an under earner, and what that looks like. So maybe this is you, maybe this isn't you, maybe you can sit back and say, okay, phew, that's not me. Maybe this can help you to relate to people in your office and your team, uh, businesses that you're working with people that you're working with. Um, and I think once you <clears throat> hear some of these things, you're also going to be able to say, hey, I can recognize that myself, maybe or in other people even almost. And, and so I think that's a really big point of this book is not just about whether or not you are an under earner because I think we all are under earners in certain ways. I can say that my husband is amazing. He's a great salesperson. He thinks everybody wants to do business with him. And of course, I'm sure they do, but he also has certain tendencies in this direction for other things in life, not maybe sales or work, but with other areas. And maybe we'll talk about that a little bit, but maybe not, but, um, I know that even people that I feel like are really, really, really strong salespeople, even people who are very secure in themselves and not under-earners, I do feel like we all have some tendencies in here and things that hold us back. So I'm super excited to jump into this. We're really going to break this up into three different sections, um, maybe four, but stick with me and we will go ahead and we will chat a little bit about how to overcome under-earning. So stick with me. The book actually begins with a great parable in the very beginning and the parable, and I'm going to paraphrase it for you, but the, the, the parable is really about that big, hairy, scary thing in our life that when we look it in the eye, it's not as scary as we think it is. So it could be. Um, anything. I mean, it could be maybe uh, driving a car. We seem, you know, it seems like it's really, really scary, right? When we're younger. Um, It could be that maybe going on a date after a divorce seems very, very scary for us, right? It could be that maybe, you know, um, having kids feels very, very scary to us. Maybe something like um, changing careers, something that feels very, very scary. When we look it in the eye and we see it for what it is, it makes it smaller. It brings it down to our our personal level. And we can honestly connect with it different. And all of a sudden it actually gets smaller than us. And we realize that we can overcome, that it doesn't need to control us. We are the things that control ourselves. And I actually have this um Armband on today. Um, and uh, this really, I guess it kind of sort of goes with my teal sweater. But um, anyway, uh, it says, and it says on here, I don't think you can actually see it. I don't think you can actually see it. But anyway, it says, nothing ever changes until you change. And I actually got this from church. And um, it's like, nothing in your life will change unless you change. So that's kind of what this is about is that by taking our big hairy fears that we have and looking at them very honestly in the mirror that maybe we can turn around and be better people because we will change on the other side of that. So let's get started. Um, I love that parable because it really sums up the beginning of what the whole book is really going to be about. And it's really about the concept that we as individuals, myself right there, get so overwhelmed by what if. Or maybe I can't, or um, what if I don't? Like what if I put everything into it and it doesn't work out that way? And we're gonna talk about that a little bit more. I really feel like, and I say specifically, that people only use a certain percentage of their brain, only percentage of their muscular structure, a percentage of what they're capable of doing and being. And I'm really, really into the idea of figuring out what that looks like for myself. So come along with my goals and my journey on this conversation. Um, Chapter one. It's all about laying the groundwork. All right. It's all about understanding. And I loved this definition of stress in the first section of the book because it says stress is under earning and worrying about the future. I do that all the time. I worry about the future all the time. I think I even say on here a lot that, um, that I, can't sleep at night on a fairly regular basis. And a lot of it's just worry. A lot of it's just worry. And I'm doing better with it. I'm actually doing a lot better with it due to some things I've changed in my own life. But that is the stress of under-earning is worrying about what the future holds and what we can and cannot do with what we have. But under-earning is designed or defined as earning below one's potential. So it doesn't mean we're earning little money it doesn't mean we don't earn any money it maybe means that we're under earning based on our potential so i can guarantee you right now i am under earning for my potential because i reinvest so much into the business and i reinvest into my people and if like there's a charity that wants something i will invest in a charity or whatever but a lot of that also gives me a feeling of being wealthy for me being wealthy is um different maybe for other people. I want to be able to see my bank are in a good status, but then also I want to be able to love on the people around me. That's very, very important for me. Other people, it might be a big house or a fancy car or um, big trips with their family or more of a outgoing lifestyle than what I have specifically. Um, I Part of me would love some of that, but another part of me knows that that's not really who I am. I love my low-key lifestyle I love to go visit people that I love I love to just invest in people I love to to do that and not that people have a more outgoing lifestyle don't it's just maybe they just spend money on different things I have a really good girlfriend of mine from college, from high school her husband loves to travel loves to travel but they go without a lot of the basic things that in my mind they're basic things so that they can make sure that they travel because that's a priority for them And that helps him to feel successful and wealthy. And it helps him to decompress from his job and um, create memories with their children. And they have been all over the world. And I am extremely jealous of that. But simultaneously, uh, I can send a text message and say, hey, this, and she'll be like, no, we don't do that because it's $10 a month or something. And sometimes I'm like, really? And it's it's just a priority, right? It's a difference in the way that we choose to be able to live our lives. And We do the things that serve us. And I want y'all to hear that because the things that our clients do, the way they react to us, the way they react to, say, the changing of our economy right now, okay? The way that they react to the changes in the way that life functions is about them. It's about what they have going on. It's about what their fears are, what's going on that we don't have any clue about. It might be maybe about, you know, the fact that they can't go visit their kids as frequently because now something's going up in their personal life, right? So insurance is going up or whatever it might be. But they've got something that they have in their own head that they are, having a conversation about that, we don't even know 99% of it. So I wanted to start the book with that conversation. And with that idea is that there are these really big things that scare us. But sometimes these things are really big, because we let them be really big. And then on the other side of that, the conversations and the fears and the anger that we get maybe from our community are not only about the actual conversation, but they're also about the background and the personal preferences that that person has. So it's not about us. So we can't take it personally. Okay. So I feel like this under earning conversation goes so deep because it's also about how do our clients react when the economy goes up, their insurance rates go up, their car payment goes up. Uh, You know, how how does our economy react in you know how do people react in different ways for texting emailing because it's that fear and it's a fear of not being enough under earning is a side result from not living up to our full potential whatever that looks like if that is trying out new things if it is stepping up for a promotion if it is going for that sale if it is opening up our own insurance agency if it is Asking to, I don't know, transition into something, right? It could be anything. It could be anything. But we have to remember that everybody has their own goals. Everybody has their own perspective. Everybody has their own way that they react to things. And they react based on their own personal thoughts and feelings. So super important to start this off with. One of the things that the book kind of goes over is that people do not take the time to be able to define their goals, they're too busy. So what I did was I wrote down, and one thing I would challenge y'all to do is 100 things that you want. And I'm, if you're on YouTube, you can see my 100 things that I want, you might be able to pause it, blow it up. <laughs> but um, I went ahead and in my little journal, I went ahead and wrote down, what do I really want? What is it that I really want? And then from there, I think it's really important to be able to take a highlighter, which I've not done yet, and highlight out maybe the top three to five things that you really, really want. Because I think that we're gonna see in here, especially when you go to 100, you're gonna really go into some really deep conversations about what do you want personally, professionally, spiritually, emotionally, financially, right? And with that, we're gonna see some overarching things, right? Like for me, stability and security are very, very important. I want to have stability and security. I want to give stability and security to my team, to my family, to everybody. And I want to be that facilitator of that. Um, But at the same point, I also want to be taken care of underneath that umbrella of stability and security. So, um, I don't want to be the only person responsible for that conversation of stability and security, because that drives me nuts. Like it makes me not sleep at night. Right. So if we go through and we take the time to really, really write down 100 things. And the main reason here's me, here's why I tell you 100 things. And I don't know you could see right there, 100. So I, have 100 things because it stretched me. It stretched me to think further. If I write down, oh, the top 10 things I want out of my life, that doesn't stretch me. And I don't go into detail. So I might say, for example, I want to go on an epic vacation with my husband when he retires. Great. What is an epic vacation? Where would it be? How much would it cost? How long would we be gone? Right? Where might we go? What do we want to achieve while we're there? Is it something touristy? Is it something more relaxing? Is it something that we want great food for? What do we want? What do we wanna see? What do we wanna hear? What do we wanna taste while we're there? By being able to dive down deeper into what we want, it helps us to define what we want. I can say, I wanna be able to have a staff of 10. Well, what if they're just sitting around doing nothing all day? That's not the staff of 10 people that I wanna be able to have to help run my agency, right? There is definitely different definitions of that. For my agency, what do we want? We want to be able to respond quickly, authentically. We want to be able to uh, to respond correctly. We want to take our time, do things in a way that honors our clients. We want to have good conversations, build relationships, all of those things, right? But unless we define it, we don't know what we're working for. Super, super important. So as I go through this, I mean, I'll, I'll sit here and read off some of mine. Um, stability, I want to be able to take care of others. I want to be generous. I want to not live in fear, all right? Uh, have peace, I want to travel. But then as I get further along, okay? And I'm gonna just gonna try to show you guys this. Um, I want to make $250,000 a year, boop, boop. That for me is a very uncomfortable number. And I'm being very honest about that. The idea of me making $250,000 a year is almost absurd in my mind, but that is a goal. Um, I want to be able to run a healthy business, one in which my team and my clients are happy. They feel heard. They feel loved. I've got all that on here. Um, I want to get my CIC. Um, I want to be able to... provide scholarships and empower other women in insurance through education. And I would love to start up a foundation to be able to start helping people to be able to propel forward in their careers in the insurance space. I want to take my family to Alaska. I want to take them to Turks, Caicos. I want to be able to have send my husband on a boys trip with his two boys. Um, I want to be able to fly to see my friends, insurance agency owners regularly. I want to go. I want to see them in their element. I want to be able to come visit them. I don't want it to be just at a conference, right? I want to have a clutter free house. That is huge. Um, I am a queen of a pile in the corner. So that is very important. I want to be able to provide 401ks, health insurance, vision benefits for all of my team. I don't do that at this point. Um, and I, that is a goal that I have for the next uh, 12 months. Um, I want to be able to, uh, I'm going through some of these that I think might be a little bit more important. I wanna be able to um, do things with the office for charities. I wanna be able to help educate. Uh, I would love to go to a local food pantry here that actually does education to help people find jobs. So they teach computer skills, help you with your resume, those types of things. I really wanna volunteer there. That's one of my goals. Um, You know, just things like that, be specific, be specific, what do you want? How do you want it? How much weight do you wanna weigh? Uh, You know, if you have goals for uh, weight loss, um, you know, whatever that is, but be specific. So I, that for me was very important. Um, They also talk about tips and traits to how to know if you are an under earner. And I want to be able to read some of these to y'all, because I think it's going to be very interesting that as we look through specifically the conversation of what we really want out of our lives, if we can say, I want to do things that scare me, we need to be able to create goals that scare us, right? Instead of saying, oh, I want to make $250,000 a year. But if I'm at $50,000 a year, what do I have to do to get there? right? But But until we say, this is what I want, how do we track how to get there? And how do we track the progress for getting there? Because what we want isn't always a 12 month conversation. It's not always a five month conversation. It could be a five year conversation or even an eight year conversation. And I think that's really important for us to be able to really remember is to think through that in order to grow and to learn and to be something more, we have to know what we want to be and what we want to accomplish in order to get there. So, one of the, one of the, the the goals of the book is to be able to change our relationship with money. Money is just a tool. Money is a tool for us to live the life that we want to live. I know that in my head, I have some junk in my head that is like, oh, if I make so much money, then I can't be available for my family. Then I can't have real relationships with my clients. Then I'm going to be pushing and I'm going to become too salesy. I have all that in my head. Right. I think if I buy a big house, then I got to buy, you know, oh, then I got to buy furniture and I got to be able to clean it and I got to be able to do this and this and this. Right. But I also love the idea of entertaining and I also love the idea of having people over to stay with me. And so we have to think through what are the things that pop up in our head that hold us back. Okay. so and by knowing what we want through our goals, that helps us to be able to achieve that. So there's actually a quiz in here. Are you an under earner? So I found that to be huge for me. So it's, and I'm trying to look for it in the book as we're here. I probably should have already flagged it, but, and we can take all these and we can move them into the conversation of um, an affirmation to not be that way. Okay. So here is, some, de- some things about being an under earner. And if this is some things that flags your mind, then think through this. Under earners talk as if they're trapped. Mm, they can't. They can't do this. That's too hard. That's too much. That's me. All right. To make excuses to block out their options with emotional blinders. They can't see past where they stand. And when they do, they get scared of what they see. That's me. Under earners give their power away. I do that a lot. Um, They constantly projecting their power out there. They blame other people or outside conditions for causing their problems. I'm so much better than I used to be on this, especially in my 20s and 30s. I was the perpetual victim and um, I stopped it in my 30s and I still struggle with it. But I hear my thoughts when I get there. And I will call myself out on it. And I ask the other people around me to do so. If people are in my really close circle, I tell people, call me out because I don't want to be that way. Um, But it's interesting once you stop doing that and you become really aware of it, then you hear when other people do it. And, you know, you just want to go, but don't you, don't you know that you're fully capable of blah, blah, blah. People are like, well, yeah, but still this thing over here is going to hold me back. And it's it's interesting when, when you get into those conversations. So under earners give their powers away and they feel trapped. Number three, they underestimate their worth. They give away their time, knowledge, skills, and experience for bargain prices because they don't believe that they're worth more. Very important. And I think especially when we get into religion, whenever we get into service projects, that is really big for a lot of people um we we give away too much when we come into the business world because maybe we've been knowledgeable or or we've been um programmed that to not serve or to serve and make money by serving is somehow wrong and that was the way i was raised was that servers people who serve don't need to be paid to serve we serve out of the goodness of our hearts because we just love people and it's true but i am not somebody who steps up and asks for money or doing things that are more service oriented under earners crave comfort you remember me telling you my goals security and stability yeah buddy that's me um they crave comfort but it's astonishing how fiercely we cling to our so-called comfort zones what a misnomer those places are anything but comfortable they are just familiar and predictable I was particularly struck by Stephen's perspective description of his lifelong pattern. If I get too far below my comfort level, I make a big push to try to earn more. If I go on out and I drum business, I'll call a friend who owes me money or whatever it takes. But the reverse also happens. If I make a lot of money, I spend everything I have to bring me back down to my comfort level which is where I am now. And I hate this comfort level, but it's almost as if the motivation isn't there to take me higher. What Stephen didn't realize is that he got something in exchange for his low pay. We talked about this earlier. I'm sorry for our conversation. We talked about this earlier. People do things that serve them for whatever reason that looks like. People do things that make them happy, make them feel comfortable, that are comfortable to them. And it might be they feel like they need to yell to get what they want. So then they come at you yelling because they know they want something, right? But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way unless we choose to be that way. And how we react to them is about us, not about them. I know, again, that's that victim mentality that, oh, this person yelled at me, so I have the right to yell at them back. And sometimes I wish that was the way life worked, but I always get in trouble when I yell at people. But... um living close to the edge gives me some sort of an adrenaline rush. That's what it says here in the book. It sets me into action, but I don't like what it does to my life. Sometimes we create these goals and we get ourselves on this high, but then it makes it really hard to be able to achieve those goals. And so then we go low again, right? And so we keep ourselves in this middle area where we feel comfortable because we say, oh, that's too hard. Or We don't want to go lower. We don't want to go higher. This is what's comfortable. I can do this, right? The other things are hard and we don't want to do those harder things, right? Often beneath the under earners ability, inability to get ahead is a gaping emotional wound standing from childhood trauma or more recent abuse. Under earning like overspending can be an unconscious attempt to numb the hurt. Financial tension becomes a perfect diversion from your personal pain but of course as with all distractions under earning never heals the headache it only escalates it still quitting an addiction requires massive discomfort that really stuck out to me um just because i know that i do try to blame things for on other people i do hold myself back because i can't it's going to be too hard and um the idea that i'm the one standing in my own way really, really powerful for me. And, I, and I'm excited to talk about this here because I feel like this is part of my journey to hold myself accountable for getting out of these saboteur-oriented philosophies, if that makes sense. Hello, loyal listeners. Hey, are you a local agent struggling to find markets for your client? Maybe you, maybe not. Number five, under-earners are self-saboteurs. I think I probably saw that on the page and used that word just a minute ago. They underestimate their worth and try to undermine their own success. That's why so many bright and talented people can't seem to get ahead. They're also codependent. People who don't value themselves easily slip into codependence, putting everyone else's needs before their own. Huge poster child right here. That's me, poster child. I'm the queen of going without so that other people can have more. I do that all the time. Number seven, under earners live in financial chaos. Maybe you have enough. Maybe you don't have enough. You give away everything to make other people happy, but we create our own chaos. The biggest fear for under earners is about having more that is uh, perhaps the biggest fear under earners have about earning more is that they'll have no life and that they'll be working all the time. That's my biggest fear. I actually went through, and if you look at some of our podcasts back forever ago, this is uh, two years ago, probably. Um, My husband and I did a podcast about our divorce because we've been divorced and remarried. And um, with that, I know that one of my biggest things was that I felt like if I had these major goals for my business, that I would never be able to be there for my children. And when I went through my divorce with him, I went through kind of this whole 100 goal conversation with myself, except it was different. It was what do I really truly think about a topic? And I actually went through a workshop where they did this, and I would love to do this with people, where um, we got one of those big uh, sticky notes, easel type things. And what we did was we wrote, men are blank, and we filled in a blank. Women are blank. Money is blank. Children is blank. My home is blank. And we had to fill in the blanks for our own lives. And then we took it and we wore it on our front. We took it, and we taped it to our front of ourselves and we had to go try to sell something, right? To somebody else in the room. Like, here's a book, right? I'm going to sell you this book and this person is going to respond based on how my philosophies are. So if I think men are overbearing, right? So to I'm going I'm to talk to him and try to sell him this book. Well, if I feel like that is the case, that I'm going to treat him as if he's overbearing, right? So therefore, if he goes, well, you know, I don't really feel like that's a good book for me. I'm going to go, okay, no problem. You know what? I totally get it. You know, I get it, right? And I just want to run away from that conversation because I don't want someone to come at me overbearing. If I feel like women are not good leaders, right? And I want to be able to sell them this book. I might make other choices based on that book, uh, based on those philosophies. But one thing I really realized was I felt like I was a empowerer which is really good but i was also um i know that from my answers from that i also felt like i was secondary to everybody else that everybody else was supposed to be somehow i was supposed to empower them to go live their best life and during my divorce with marcus i realized that that was a very messed up way to think and um and i have kept myself out of that. But sometimes I know I don't deal with things because I just don't want to. I'm afraid of what that's going to take to be able to do. And I have had to really nut down on the idea of taking personal responsibility rather than wanting to be rescued by a knight in shining armor or by a business or by, you know, clients or that something's magically going to happen and my phone's going to ring and all of a sudden all my financial woes are going to go away. That's not the way life works, right? And without us taking personal responsibility, we find ourselves in these chaotic situations, financially, personally, spiritually, emotionally, because we didn't take care of business along the way, right? And we didn't believe that other people could be healthy in and of themselves. And that was one thing I had to really get over is having to feel like I needed to go fix other people. I will literally sit in my own brain sometimes and I'll just think, I don't have to fix you. I don't have to fix you. And as I'm listening to conversations, I want to go, but this is what you need to do. And I can't do that. I can't because that's a classic under earner that I'm pouring myself on other people. And I'm exhausting my own personal self to where I don't do what's best for me. And um, I put myself on the back burner and I've gotten to where I'm like, one of my favorite terms is that sucks. How are you going to fix it? And I talk to my kids and I talk to my team members and whenever they're, they come in my office and they want to sit down, if you're watching the YouTube, you can see, I got a couch right here. Come on in. Let's chit chat. Right. And I ask them, do you want me to help you solve it? Do you want me to listen? Or do you want me to be, you know, offer advice, be your champion? What are we doing here? And a lot of people will sit back and they'll say, I just want you to listen. Great. And I'll just listen. Oh my gosh. Wow. 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 That's crazy. Wow. Wow. Right. I'm not jumping on their bandwagon and I'm not fixing it and I'm not telling them how they're wrong and I'm not taking away their story, not doing it. But then when they're done needing to be listened, all of a sudden they're like, oh no, I want advice. I'm like, okay, well, I don't give advice because you need to choose whatever is right for you. I can tell you what to do in my opinion, but that doesn't mean it's right for you in this situation. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, what is your goal? What do you want to be able to accomplish And what do you think is going to help you to be able to get there based on this situation? And I have found that people are much more receptive to that. And I don't have to come up with all the answers. And I don't have to worry about the chaos of people listening to me, not listening to me. I'm successful. I'm not successful. I'm a good friend. I'm not a good friend. You know, Because now it's like they have personal ownership for their life. I have personal ownership for my life and what I bring to the table. And for me, that is very important that I do not have to take personal responsibility for other people, and therefore I do not have to pass off my personal strengths or my personal um power. That's a really good word power. Number eight, under earners are vague about money and success. Again, make your list of one hundred things you want. What means success to you? Um one thing that I have learned about me is that I was raised in a little town in uh wisconsin and a little town in iowa we we, i was in both and neither one of them had a mcdonald's and on the way we went to church in one city and we started at our home and then we moved 45 minutes away to go to another town and there was not a mcdonald's there either but in the middle there was a town with a mcdonald's and i remember we would go back for church to the original town and every single sunday i'd be like oh i want to go to mcdonald's for lunch or whatever my parents were like oh 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 and then for whatever reason, we couldn't afford it. Something else was up. We oh, we mom's already cooked at home, all those good things. And of course it was not healthy for me, but I remember, oh, it was a special day when you could stop off at McDonald's and it was like almost your birthday. It was so special. It was so special. And um, I know now that whenever I'm in a bad mood or whenever I'm having a bad day, I'll make comments about this. I love to go to McDonald's and get whatever. And I think it's played into a lot of my weight challenges that I have because to me, to not allow myself to do that, there's something that is hurting myself mentally by not having that freedom to be able to do something that small. And um, this actually started when I was in high school because I moved to Dallas when I was in high school. And I remember every morning it was a, it was a, privilege that I, because I was making my own money at that point, I worked full time. And um, I was able to go to McDonald's for breakfast in the morning. And I remember thinking that was like the biggest thing ever for me. And now as I get older, it still is a challenge for me. And it's one of those things where I haven't really addressed that as much as I should but I'm vague about what success looks like for me personally and my health, because I know that that means I need to really get my head out of McDonald's. And I don't go that much. I used to go all the time. Um, I don't do that anymore. I only go like twice a week, but I, I, and I really scaled back. I'm not drinking as many sodas as I did, but there were parts of that that felt like success to me. For me to be able to buy something on Amazon feels like I'm successful, that I don't have to sit back and say, oh no, I can't buy that new brush or I can't buy that whatever it is that I want on Amazon. Now, there have to be limits on that, right? I need to know what I want. I need to be able to have boundaries and all of that. So um, by knowing what we want to do with our money, what makes us feel successful, what makes us feel happy, we can give ourselves pieces of that. But then we also know how we need to learn how to not let that get out of control. That is very important. Because if it gets out of control, it can impede us from being able to get where we really want to go. So um, if you want to talk about that more, you know, message me, I'm happy to chit chat about it. Under earners are anti-wealth. Maybe they think that rich people are snobs or rich people are blah, blah, blah. Right. And um, I was raised that way. Um, Under earners are controlled by fear. Again, that big, hairy, audacious fear that we have, that we need to look in the eye and call it out. Right. And those are some of the biggest things that under earners do. We sabotage ourselves. We don't give ourselves our credit for what it is that we do. We're codependent. We, um, and these are a lot of negative words. I'm gonna be very honest about that, okay? But if we can look that in the eye and combine that with what we want, what our goals are, the book says to take this, these things that we know and make them positive affirmations. Like, for example, uh, under earners are self saboteurs. Okay. So maybe once we become aware of it, we could say, I am fully capable of making this sale, right? I'm not going to quit halfway through. I'm not going to give up my power. I'm not going to let someone else control me. Right. Just like the conversation of, I don't have to take responsibility for that person by being aware of these tendencies that we have then we can be aware of them enough to say, I'm not going to engage in those. Now, this is a really, really long-term process, okay, of what that's going to look like in your life. I have not mastered it in any way, shape, or form. And there have been parts of this that have been coming, been becoming um, aware to me over the course of the last five to 10 years. So I'm still 100% working on those. But, you know, make our make ourselves We need to make ourselves affirmations saying I am financially safe. I financially can do this. I am capable of achieving my goals. I am stable. I am secure. I am safe to be able to provide this for someone else. But I don't have to. I can do it if I choose to. And maybe there will be times where somebody asks us to do something and we can try it out and say, nope. And then just sit in it. The world didn't stop. I know sometimes I'll sit back and I'll think, no, I can't do that. And, uh, whatever it is. And I remember just practicing saying no to people so that that way, maybe, um, I would learn gradually that the world is not going to stop on its axis if I tell people no. So that's really important. Another thing in the book talks about discover your earning ceilings. This is really, really important. Um, this part of the book talks about, how do you feel knowing that you're making $25,000 a year? How would you feel? And these are like journal prompts, right? To think about, how would you feel if you were making $75,000 a year? How would you feel if you were making $100,000 a year? How would you feel if you're making 150, 200, 250, 400, 600, a million? What would you do if you took home a million dollars per year? You feel like that's capable within your wheelhouse of your business? You know, that's being able to look at where you're uncomfortable, where you're like, okay, that works, right? And then going, oh, gosh, I don't know that I could do that. That's when I was like, okay, that's my 250 mark. And so that for me is like, okay, that's gonna be my goal is because I want to achieve what I don't think in my head I can, or I would feel very gluttonous by wanting to achieve that and so that's why i put it out there i don't know if i will or when i will but i will i will i will don't talk to myself like that right yeah i know i hear you guys out there i hear y'all out there but then breaking through your earnings barrier is uh chapter three and it just talks about how we as women sometimes or just people don't give ourselves full credit for what we're putting out there in the universe, asking for that promotion, taking responsibility for that sale, not self-sabotaging, telling, you know, our family, Hey, I need to go work for another 45 minutes when we get home or Hey, I'll be home in 45 minutes. Right. I know that sometimes when my family is like, it's five o'clock and why aren't you home? I'm like, there are lots of people that work till six, seven and eight o'clock people just chill. And I tell them you could. wait an hour for me to be able to do something for you. And by doing that, they've learned to give me time to be able to do my job and to do it well. And that has been able to allow me to take myself more seriously that I don't have to drop everything when my team or a area director for some carrier, or, you know, somebody somewhere tells me that they need something. I don't have to drop everything to be able to go do it. Um, that's very different from me in the last 10 years, just to let y'all know. I don't know. But they do also have these great journal exercises in the book. Um, I do have mine all, you know, itemized out. Um, this is, again, this is a workbook slash book, right? Over-earning is all about your attitude, right? We need to be able to get over them. And I loved, I was at an event not too long ago, John uh, Malinchak was there. And he said, everything that we fear is self-perceived. It's that we perceive that it's scary. Somebody else might not feel it's scary. For me, going 250 miles an hour seems scary. But for a race car driver, that's normal. Like they hate driving 75 miles an hour because for them it's boring. Did Everybody's different. And we have to acknowledge that and see what's important to ourselves and what's important to our spouses. So what we can do is if we can look at our children and our team members and our spouses and see what's important to them and express what's important to us and maybe even know why they react the way they do. There's tons of personality tests out there and or just having conversations, maybe even about these things publicly as a team will help us to be able to overcome some of our professional stop gaps in our own head. I know that um, I used to have a team member that worked for me. It was in sales and he would always say, Oh no, they're not going to pay that. They're not going to do that. They're not going to pay a policy that would be worth that or whatever. And I would just tell him, don't think for other people, this is where our carriers are coming in at. This is, you know, we believe that he needs, that he or she needs to be insured at this amount because this is where as a professional the house needs to be. Um, so don't think for other people, let other people think for themselves. You do your best, you develop relationship, you advise honestly and completely, and you do your very best every day, but we cannot do other people's very best for them. We cannot think through things for them. We cannot make decisions for them. We have to do our very best and we have to do our very best for our family For ourselves. If we talk bad to ourselves, say, oh, I can't, I'm not good enough. If we sit back and say, oh, I could never make that kind of money. Oh, that's too big of a sale. Oh, I'm not going to go after that commercial account because, oh my goodness, that's going to be like a $50,000 account. Why not you? Why not you? Is it because we think we don't earn it or because we don't think we're good enough or because we're afraid if they'll leave us? For another, another insurance agency, eventually, we don't want to lose what we might have at that point, but we don't have it anyway because we don't have it right now, right? Because we didn't go after that fifty thousand dollars account. So unless we stretch ourselves, unless we push ourselves, how do we know what we're really worth? This is the beginning of overcoming under earning, and if you, so you see yourself in this book, maybe with some of these conversations, things like, oh, you know, I don't, I, I that amount of money, like going for that kind of an account might make me feel a little bit more uncomfortable. Oh, that scares me if I go into commercial insurance. Oh, it scares me if I go into Medicare. Oh, it scares me if I want to be able to have a book that is this large. Go for it. And by being able to identify what scares us, by being able to work through why it scares us, what it's going to take to overcome it scaring us, we can look that monster in the eye and that monster will get smaller and smaller and smaller and it's no longer a scary monster. Now all of a sudden it is fully achievable and we achieve it. We've achieved it. So I just want to encourage y'all, we're going to do this in a couple different episodes, um, but uh, this is where I'm going to stop today. But just take over... Get get this book. It's a great book. Make your goals. Go through the questions in here about whether or not you're an under-earner and take a serious look at your mental conversation. I can almost guarantee, even if you don't think you talk to yourself in these ways, you do. Um, even my wonderful and amazing husband, who I love dearly, he is a he's a wonderful salesperson and he has a great sense of self-esteem on all that. But sometimes if we're talking about stuff, all of a sudden little things do pop up out of his conversation. And he does listen to my podcast occasionally. So I do love you, honey. But um, little things will pop up in our conversations, like, oh, that would be so much work. I just, I couldn't even think about that, right? Because we're making that prejudgment ahead of time. Like if I said right now, hey, let's go out and buy an investment property. My husband would be like, oh, I don't want to have to go manage it. And people tear that stuff up and people do this, that and the other. And okay, they do. But there's lots of people that don't. So we're making that decision for other people. Again, don't think for other people. Go on out there, everybody. This has been another amazing episode of the Power Women in Insurance podcast. My name is Teresa Kitchens, your host. Reach out to me on Facebook. I would love to be able to chat with you about this topic um, or any of the other topics of the almost 300 episodes that we've done. And I would love to be able to chat with you a little bit more about how you are approaching your career, your business, and what it is that you're doing. And watch us as we do more episodes on overcoming under earning. Everybody, we do uh, release a new episode every single Wednesday. So make sure that you subscribe on Apple iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all of those. Okay. Wherever you see your favorite podcast, that's where I'm at. All right, everybody have a wonderful week. Talk to you next week.